What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It's the whole crew. This is the Sports Ethos Grizzlies podcast. The Memphis Grizzlies beat the Rockets back-to-back games Wednesday and Friday. Wednesday was ugly as can be, and Friday was exactly how these games should look. Oh, well, I won't say exactly, because 25 threes for a franchise record is not going to happen every night. Luke Kennard going nuclear, going 10 of 11 from the field, set a franchise record for most threes by a player. That's not going to happen every night. But blowing out the Rockets should happen every time that the Grizzlies play them. They are able to do that on Friday. Candace, I'll throw it to you first. I know you're going to want to talk about Friday's game, but let's go back to Wednesday's game. Let's start there. What what happened in Wednesday's game? For me – I know that they missed Desmond Bain, Jalen Green, 10 for 18 from the field, 32 points, 9 of 9 from the free throw line. He has had his way with this team. But what, what did you see on Wednesday? But what was your takeaway from the win on Wednesday? Oh, I just think it was defense. The defense wasn't there. I, I, you could tell they were kind of, you know, I'm not going to say they, they weren't going through the motions. I, I think the, there were some good things on offense that you saw there. Uh, Bain wasn't as efficient, which, which is going to hurt you a little bit. Uh, Jock, you know, that was Josh's first game back. He did well in his minutes, sort of really kind of helped uh, put the Grizzlies in good position when they were kind of really a little stagnant with the starters. I think that starting unit really kind of to some extent needed, needed Jock because Tyus didn't have he didn't have a bad game, but he didn't have, a, you know, a great game, right? Just from from the field, he wasn't as efficient as he normally is. Missed a couple of floaters, things like that. Um, Jaron was a monster, and he is, you know, he, he he definitely was a huge swing factor in what what helped them win that game. But there's a lot of fouls, uh, getting getting. I think they got in their own heads, especially Jaron. Some ticky tack dumb fouls, some silly fouls went down the stretch, and so. Um, well, anyway, I, I think uh, overall it, it was a good game. Um, Grizzlies won that one. I think they should have blown them out. They shouldn't really allow 125 points. That's not what we're, what we're used to seeing from this Grizzlies defense. But I think the Dylan thing was a factor, right? Dylan makes a difference on defense. We all agree that that's the case. Now, I feel like the others could have stepped up a little bit better, but it may be one of those things where you're so used to having a player there that the adjustment to not having them sort of, you know, maybe made a difference there. But um, we got a lot more what we expect from a Kevin Porter Jr. We, we don't expect a, 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 a Ken Martin Jr. 31-point game generally, and that's what they allowed in the on the Wednesday night game. So uh, that's, how, that's how I attribute it. it. It comes down to me, defense could have been a lot better, but the offense was was, was clicking pretty well, I think. Isaac? Yeah, uh, when you go back to, to Wednesday's game, they definitely missed Dylan Brooks. I, I don't think there's yeah. any if, ands, or buts about that. But yeah. you look at these numbers, I mean, for, for Houston, Jalen Green, 32. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr., 14 points, 10, 10 assists, 10 rebounds, triple-double. 25 for Singoon, 31 for Martin Jr., 16 for Jabari. I mean, that's a lot of points given up. Uh, it, it was definitely a defense offensive rebound. I mean, they just got beat up on the offensive boards. But one thing about, excuse me, that Houston team is they basically play AAU ball. And they take a whole lot of bad shots. I mean, they'll just fire it up out of rhythm. It doesn't matter what's within the offense. And if they're hitting those shots, they can give you problems. And they were hitting shots in that game. If they're making 
those wild threes, those shots they're putting up, it felt like they were hitting everything. Now, part of that's due to the defense, but part of it is due to just they're playing with no conscience. Like, they don't have any reservations about, okay, well, we need to play within the offense. We can't get wild here and do certain things. They don't care because they're they're in the lottery. They're um, 18 to 55 now. They, they're not concerned about playing with any structure. So they just go out there and play anyway, just whatever happens. And they were, they just happen to be making shots on Wednesday. The Grizzlies defense and, and offensive rebounding didn't help. But I think that's kind of what we saw. Friday night, I think that's what you kind of expected in, in these two games. I had a feeling yeah. after – we had that game. The game was really tight on, on Wednesday. They come out and, and kind of blow them out. Now, I didn't expect 151 and 25 threes or anything like that, but I, I figured that they would have a much easier time on, on Friday night than they did on Wednesday. Uh, but that's what we saw. But Jared, man, monster game on Wednesday, 37 points, 10 rebounds. People say, my guy can't rebound, man. He's been rebounding the basketball. Yeah. Uh, two blocks. Uh, just scared this team uh, when they really needed it. Um, and, and you got contributions out the bench as well. Uh, obviously, Ja, uh, six man of the year, Ja coming in with 17 points <laughs> out the bench. Uh, Luke Kennard with 13. Um, he was three of five from three in that one. Didn't get cooking like he got Friday night, but still, man, three three of five off the bench, man. That's that's the reason why they brought him here. Uh, but guy didn't come in off the bench and, and knock down shots. He even did that on Wednesday night. And we'll get to his performance on Friday, man. But he's, as of late, man, it's really shown why they went out and got him and his worth. Uh, of what he's going to be for this team, especially going into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think the uh, the bench played a big role. I think Ja and Luke really kind of carried that bench, and they played uh, they played Kenny Lofton Jr. some junior minutes in yeah. there as well, and he did pretty well, man, out there uh, <laughs> playing playing. Uh, good game for him, two two or three. You know, you didn't get up a ton of shots. He played thirteen minutes, so not a ton of time, but it was. It, it, you know, he another time opportunity for him to step up and play some minutes, and they seem to be doing that a little bit. And um, you know, I'd say he had a better game than Conchar did in that particular game. Uh, so you know, that was good to see as well. I think. Yeah, man, I love what what I'm seeing from from Junior. Um, glad to see Taylor Jenkins finally giving him an opportunity. You know, I've been a big proponent from him of him for day one. Um, he's really come in and, and shown that he could be a valuable piece for this team. Hate that he's on the two-way, that he's not going to be able to play in the playoffs because I think, especially if things don't go right with Steven Adams, he has to miss extended time into playoffs. Kenny Lofton Jr. would be a guy that could be important for this team off the bench uh, because, I mean, he just does a lot of things. He can knock, he can knock down a perimeter shot. He has a high IQ, and people talk about his athleticism. Even though he's not athletic, kind of like and me and David talked about this, I think a couple weeks ago here, even though he's not super athletic, kind of in the same vein as a Kyle Anderson, he does things that are unorthodox and somehow they work. Like he kind of lulls you into <laughs> to the stuff and it's kind of hard to defend because you're not used to guys kind of moving the way he does. He's kind of at his size, he's learned to play that play at that size and how to kind of use his body to, to maneuver and get past guys, even when he's not super athletic. So um, I definitely think he's going to be a piece for this team going forward. I'm glad Taylor Jenkins has finally given him that opportunity. Uh, but I, I think I feel good about where this team is uh, going into the playoffs. And I think the big reason why, the biggest reason why I feel good about it is Jared Jackson Jr. Um, if there's it's, if there's any silver lining to you know, job missing time and, and everything that's been going on with this team, it's Jared Jackson Jr. flipping that switch. Um, and you kind of, Question I asked the question of the night when we were on here with Ja coming back. Do you think we we see that continue? Would go back to Jared standing in the corner, kind of being that passive guy that hasn't been it at all. Now Ja has 
been coming out the bench, and we'll see as that continues to evolve. But it seems like Josh coming back, and the fact that he has to come out the bench, I think he realizes that this this team, what they have going, is working really well. And he yeah. didn't want to come in and mess that up. And Jaron playing at this level, I think, unlocks something that takes this team to greater heights. And I think the, the potential is off the charts. Like, I coming into the season, and we've talked about this a lot, I personally, I didn't feel like this team was capable of winning a championship this year. But at this point, the way things are aligned in the West, uh, the the potential path that they could have, Jared doing what he's doing, Luke Kennard being added to this roster, bringing the shooting, you're not going to see what you saw last night. I mean, that's that's the Rockets, and, and you have to put that in perspective. But a lot of what we saw here lately, it, it's kind of changed my opinion on, on the ceiling for this team because I, I just think Jared doing what he's doing changes things for this team. Their biggest weaknesses were half-court offense and shooting. And as of late, we've seen this team improve vastly in both of those areas. And you think you could add Steven Adams back to this, which also brings back the offensive rebounding, the, the screen setting for Ja. This, if this continues and you add a healthy Steven Adams back in, into this, this is pretty much a complete team in, in my mind. And I, they're going to be a tough out for anybody in the playoffs. It's going to take a lot of continuing what, we, what we've seen, but I absolutely agree. In fact, I, I tweeted out a couple of days ago that since the All-Star break, the the, the Grizzlies are now 11. If I, have, I have to check it after the the most recent Rockets game, but they were 11th in half-court offense since the All-Star break, which is a huge deal because for the, on the year, they were 22nd ranked. But with the emergence of Jaron, like you said, the three-point shooting and the addition of Luke Kennard, it's been huge. And that's one thing I've said this roster is missing is a backup shooting guard. I, I've Since since it became apparent that they weren't going to make another move in the offseason in terms of getting a replacement for Milton and they were just going to move Conchar up, I have advocated that this team needed a backup shooting guard. They just didn't have one. And and that, I, that, that John Conchar wasn't going to be able to fill that role you know, especially in that sort of a time, like that just wasn't his game. But Luke Kennard being added to this team feels a huge need and it kind of puts everybody else back where they're supposed to be. In fact, we're seeing a little bit more playmaking from Contrary, even if we're not seeing the scoring, we're seeing more prototype plays from him. He's able to go back to something that he used to be able to do and it's affected the overall roster. The rotations have gotten a lot better. And, and I'll talk more about some of the things I saw in the Friday game when we get to that. But uh, extremely impressed with just the improvements of that, the emergence of Jaron Jackson Jr. And hope we see that continue because uh, that'll be huge in the playoffs. It'll be the the John Jaron connection will be big. And we've seen more of that Um since Josh come back, you know, he's playing on the bench. He still got a lot of minutes with Jaron Jackson Jr. And you can see them kind of working out the, the screens and the lobs and things like that. Um, so that's been good to see as well. So yeah, I mean, the first place. Oh, you ahead, you mentioned their, their half-court offense, right? They're up to sixth right now. Is that uh, fast? They're, wow. So they're, is they're the all-star break? Or? Or, well, I'm sorry. This is a set. Sean Coleman tweeted out in March. So they're, they're effective field goal percent. They're fourth in the league. Their true shooting percentage, they're sixth. And half-court offense, they're sixth in the month, month of March. Month of March. They, okay. probably, they probably have not climbed to sixth overall. But I, no, I want to talk about the, the, the job <laughs> coming off of the bench stuff. Because, you know, Isaac, you mentioned, like, the, the chemistry that he had going, and he didn't want to disrupt that while he's getting back into game shape. So – when he does move into the starting lineup, there's going to be a shift. Yeah. Way 
And and I tweeted something out from the the Grizzlies Twitter from the the uh, Ethos Grizzlies Twitter account, and I took the tweet down because for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm not the only one that's associated with it, and then you know, like we all kind of take turns tweeting from that account, but it, you know, you guys didn't agree with it, and that's fine. But I do want to discuss it because. On Twitter, you can't really – there's no nuance. We've had this discussion yeah, before. Definitely, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> where somebody's coming from. When I tweeted out that I didn't agree with the move, it was strictly basketball-related that we are less than 10 games away from the end of this season headed into the playoffs. And so Ja coming off of the bench, to me, for basketball, there's no sense in it. You know that he's going to be your starter. So, the, like, if you aren't going to keep him coming off of the bench in the playoffs, that's your plan. Okay, that's fine. Bring him off of the bench to finish up the rest of the season. But if that's not your plan, you need to go ahead and disrupt that chemistry and have him starting and see what happens from there. Now, a disclaimer to that is John Morant did make the request or he didn't mention that he would come off of the bench. So I, I 100,000% support whatever John Rand needs to do in order to get himself ready. So if this was something for, this is what John needed to get himself back into the right mindset, then okay. But I don't know that there's an argument that can be made that would convince me that it made basketball sense for him to come off of the bench. No. Yeah. I, no. I I get what you said. I get what you said. You yeah, go ahead, yeah. Candace. Yeah. No. From, from a basketball perspective, I agree with you. I guess from my perspective, I always knew that it was never about basketball. I, th- I think I had that understanding because Taylor yeah, Jenkins never mentioned anything about Ja coming off the bench. Ja was the first one to bring that up, and he was the first one to push it, even with teammates with Dylan. He'd been kind of pushing that. It seemed almost like he pushed for it because. I'm not sure that Taylor Jenkins outside. I know Taylor Jenkins would have required the extra game for him to have some conditioning, get back into you know rhythm. But I think if it was up to Taylor Jenkins, he would have started. And so I knew it wasn't basketball reasons. You can kind of tell, even in those interviews with Ja, you can just see how unsure of himself he was, like how uncomfortable. He mentioned being uncomfortable in some of the interviews that he did when his post-game press conference. And so that was easy for me to translate that. I think he needed that. Um, from a mental health perspective, but from a basketball perspective, I agree with you. That's not, I, I, I don't think that was ever what it was going to be about. I think the team is trying to accommodate what works best for Ja, and they should continue to do that Um, as he, I think, you know, he wants to see if his practices apply on a smaller scale or whatever. Like I I, I get where, where Ja is coming from with it. And it, I think it's been a great look. It was always going to be interesting to me. And I, I didn't think it'd be too much of a, I wasn't, the, ma- the main reason why I wasn't too worried about it from a basketball perspective is, Bain and Jaron run a lot of time with that second unit anyway. So in terms of your big three playing together, I wasn't concerned about that. Yeah, you'd love for Ja to start, but I, I had a pretty good feeling that they would get that time anyway, and they have. So um, I, I'm good with it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just like Gannis. Like, I, I never looked at it that it was the basketball, any kind of basketball reason. I knew it was basically Ja with what what working through and we we all know how confident a guy Ja is for him to say he's uncomfortable that that lets you know that he's still dealing with something because that's not what you'd expect from him at all I mean he's 
this in your face, boisterous, confident, like I'm I'm the man, I'm gonna come out here and do my thing. He's that type of guy for him to 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 reveal the fact that he's uncomfortable. I, I knew then I was like, this is something that he needs. I mean, you could tell in those interviews, things that he said he continued to to kind of hit at. I, I'm I'm not fully comfortable yet with the situation. And the the weird thing for me is and I tweeted this out, and obviously this is not going to happen. We all know John's going to be back in the starting lineup. He's going to be starting in the playoffs. But, man, these, through these two games, and I know it's the Houston Rockets, man, this is look really good. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I like having the team because I mean, the team has started off pretty good with, with the other guys. In. And you bring in a guy like Charles, the bitch, you bring in Luke Kennard in, it, it's really worked and it's really clicked uh, with this team. And everything seems to be going – Right, right now, Taylor Jenkins has improved. Uh, some of the, a lot of the things that we complained about him and, and had questions of, with him about earlier in the season, he seemed to be improved. Now, a lot of that might have been due to attrition and, and him having to do certain things because of the, the team being shorthanded. And that's kind of something I'm going to be looking at. And maybe job being out when you integrate him back in, are they still going to continue to feed Jaron the way they have, or did they feed him like that out of necessity because they needed him to score that way? because you don't have the points from Ja when he was out there. So that's my kind of question mark going forward is once they do get back to normal and you get Ja back in that starting lineup, do they continue the same efficiency? Does Tyus Jones, now that he's back on the bench, does he continue playing at, at the same level that he's been playing at? Because we've seen at times that he's been awesome when he starts, but when he comes off the bench, he's not always that same guy. So, yeah, it's uh, – uh, yeah. It's like he loses the gear, man. Like yeah, when he like I, don't, I don't know what it bench, is. It's like we we see that you can do this. We know that you can do this. And then you get moved back to the bench. And it's like I know that the mindset is different. Kyle Anderson kind of talked about that in changing roles whenever he was here. And, you know, like he went when Jaron was injured, he went from being a starter to coming off of the bench and he talked about kind of the difference in, in that and trying to stay ready, but he did mention that there was a difference. So I, I want Tyus to continue to play aggressive the way that he has when he's been a starter. And Jenkins mentioned last night in the post-game uh, press conference about guys not being scared to shoot the ball and ball movement. And you go back and, and you look at, the, the Friday game and everybody on the team, like you, you run through that Friday game, pretty much everybody that played had an assist in that game with the exception of X. And, and it was just, it, it was nuts. The ball was flying around the floor and they were passing up good shots to get great shots, except for when Kennard was on fire. Cause it would just like get him in the ball and everybody set screens and let him cook. But you know, th- this team excels when they're moving the ball and I want to see Tyus continue to have that. I don't know if he's going to or not. We've seen him kind of uh, – we, we see a regression when he goes back to the bench. And if he can somehow, like, channel this mentality and take it into that bench role, I think that what we're seeing in these two games with Ja coming off of the bench, we can still have that type of positive impact from Tyus Jones – moving forward, he just has to find a way to uh, make that adjustment. I would say that's the bigger question mark of all the things, all the all the questions that Isaac posed there, because I, I'm cautiously optimistic, cautiously, that uh, 
the house alter ego Tyler Jenkins, since they've been calling <laughs> him on Twitter, is is going to do a good job of feeding Jaron because he's talked about it so much in the press conference. I think it's one of those situations, Isaac, in my opinion, where that yes, I do believe a lot of these decisions in terms of how often he's playing Santi and Jaron together in terms of um, you know, feeding Jaron the, the way that they are. I think a lot of it was by necessity, but I think he's seeing the results. In fact, uh, I saw I heard something else that he mentioned in the post game press conference from Friday, and I know we haven't gotten too much into that game yet, but I heard him mention that he loved the the minutes with Bain and and Kennard on the floor. That that's something that he really is liked and wants to see more of it. I know that's something you've talked about. You feel like they yeah. they should always be together on the floor, but I think that because I think he's gotten the effect that it can have on the team and the nuances that you can really get out of your offense with it, I don't think he would have done it on his own. I'll just be honest. But I think now that we're here, I'm not as worried about, based off his comments in the press conference, if you, if you take that for what it is, if you take it at face value, it seems like he will be looking to continue to feed Jaron. He'll be looking to continue to look for mismatches and things. Cause he's mentioned specifically like having the guards identify mismatches when he's up against, you know, a guard, you know, a guard, another guard or a smaller opponent. And that's huge for Jaron. And it seems like it has been more of an emphasis and a little bit more intentionality behind um, the guards in general to look for Jaron in those moments. Hopefully we see that continue. You can look on appearance, you know, it looks like, well, people would say Jaron's dropped off, but I think the context to Friday's game from Wednesday's game is that, you know, the team really only played three quarters because um, yeah, it was just such a blowout at that point. Um, so I, I think ratio-wise, we're still in step with what it needs to be in terms of uh, touches for Jaron. Yeah, I think it, it. that's why I said it could, it could be a blessing in disguise. I think yeah. all the way around for, for Taylor Jenkins seeing that, what what Jared is capable of. And I also think of, from Jared's perspective, his confidence, because I think his confidence is going to another level because even when they weren't feeding him the ball, there were times where he got, they got the ball in good, in good positions and he still wasn't as aggressive as we've seen him kind of doing this uptick. I mean, he's trying to dunk everything now. Like, yeah. Jared, he barely dunked the ball before. I mean, you see him make finishes at the basket, but we, he wasn't dunking the way he is. You can just tell this confidence on another level. I remember it was a timeout. I can't remember a couple games ago uh, where he was cooking in a game. And he, he when he went to the bench, he was telling him, "I told you, just give me the ball. I told you, give me the ball." And that's not something that we would have seen from him three or four months ago. Like yeah. he's a different guy, confidence wise. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with him being in that situation with with job being out. And it's, again, it's not not saying that we're glad that happened at all or anything like that. But I think there's some some good things that came out of that that could possibly help this team going forward and I just think Jaron having that confidence now that he's the man it just opens up so much for this team because they've struggled in the half court and now if you have Jaron doing what he's doing in the half court bring Steven Adams back you got when they get up in tempo let let John kind of handle those minutes you got a kind of two guys there that can handle both of those situations you get up and down you can get John in the paint and finish in and when you get in the half court you need a bucket and let Jaron go down there in the paint and cook I mean, this team is just going to be hard to guard. Uh, it's just multiple ways that they can win games, and they've been kind of one-dimensional in the past. But now we, we're starting to see this team blossom, and they're knocking down threes. They're, they're executing the half court. They can do it up-tempo as well. And, and that's what I mean by this team. If if what we see, we've see seen lately continues, and you add Steven Adams and his offensive rebound and screen setting and what he defends and what he brings in the paint to this, 
I mean, this team can win in all different kind of ways, and that's not something that we've seen. This team is really been a team that had to win in a particular way. They, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna make a lot of perimeter shots. They have to get offensive rebounds to get second chance points. And what they're doing right now, that's not gonna necessarily be the case. Not that they don't need those things, but they won't be so reliant on it uh, as they have been in the past. And that's just kind of kind of only way they've won games ninety percent of the time. And now I think they can win games in a multitude of ways. And that's what you want. When you start doing that, that's when you can start talking about, okay, this is a team that could really compete for a championship this year. Yeah, I would say there are a couple things that stand out to me uh, about this. Thing. And, and, and one of it is I'll start talking a little bit more about what I loved about Friday's game. I know it's the Houston Rockets, and I know, you know, yes, they should have blown this team out. Now, they, should, they shouldn't necessarily have blown them out with 151, breaking almost franchise record, second highest points they've ever had in a in a game. But they should have blown them out. But to me, I'm always looking at the process. I'm the type of person who, even in wins, sometimes there are critiques I have because I'm looking at the process, or losses rather, or whatever it is. I, I, I'm always looking at how they got there. No matter what the outcome is, I'm not paying attention to did they win or did they lose. My opinion oftentimes doesn't change because of that. I'm looking at how they got there. And I love the process to getting to the win against the Houston Rockets, like you, like you alluded to, the moving on offense. There were multiple screens set up for Luke Kennard to get open. There was screen off a screen off a screen, and there the Houston Rockets aren't a disciplined enough team to be able to handle that kind of movement. Now, you, it's, I'm curious to see what that looks like against a more elite defense, but the concept, I think, is going to apply because that wears a team out, yeah. especially if you're talking about in the playoffs over a seven-game series. That's why the Warriors are so hard to guard because Steph Curry is all over the place. It's the off-ball movement that really gets you, and in the fourth quarter, you kind of tire out. Right. And that's what I love about how they were able to get Luke Kennard open, sort of the, the uh, just sort of the nuances that you could tell it seemed well organized. It just wasn't it just wasn't somebody that'll get a bucket. There were a lot of plays called. I love to see that. Uh, you love to see the the guards seeking Jaron and Mitch matches uh, the back, the, the back, the off the backboard dunk to Jaron was awesome. Um, and, and Dylan, Dylan is the one that looks for Jaron. Always, anyway, that's not new. But you, you, I, I can even see Ja being intentional about um, making sure he's getting Luke Kennard minutes because or Luke Kennard shots. Because when Luke first got on this team, I felt like there were a lot of times when Ja just wasn't looking his way. Yeah, they they look him off. He, they look at him wide open and they go yeah, go different direction open. with it. Not not yeah, a I, single look. I wonder how much of that was like a chemistry thing, right? Maybe. Because yeah, it seems like you know last night was kind of like an outlier. We're not going to see that every night. But, yeah, I remember watching sometimes, and it's like, this is like the second best shooter on your team, maybe the best shooter on the team, and you're not even hitting when he's wide open. Yeah, Why did they make the trade? Yep, absolutely. Um, So it was was good to see that Josh seeking to get Luke some shots. It's good to see – Josh seeking to to really feed Jaron. It seems like he was just more aware of where Jaron was on the court. Sometimes Josh goes in the ISO and he's kind of just looking and he'll he'll be open to the kick out pass, right? But he's not necessarily looking to find the other guy. Um, I said this on Twitter a while ago, but I'm a, if I had to choose between Josh go get a bucket and Jaron go get a bucket, I'll take Jaron all day. I love the Jaron go get a bucket offense because he's such a mismatch for so many opponents, even in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's, 
He's the closer. One hundred percent, he should. Be especially, the especially in a play in playoff style basketball, yep. because he's yeah. executing on the half court in the paint. It's not up tempo. You're just trying to force your way into the paint. And he can get, get the ball in the post and make moves and finish at the basket. So in the playoffs, definitely, uh, I, I definitely agree with that because he's going to sit on that. Try go get a bucket. That's why we. That's been such a struggle this year. Um, I, I think teams now expect that. They saw it over the last couple of years. They're like, we're we're not going to let job beat us. Somebody else got to beat us. And now they have that guy in Jerry, and I think that can can, can handle that. Um, the, the offenses look much more complex, um, as Candace alluded to over these last few games. And Because usually it just seemed like it was one option. Like there wasn't this multifaceted offense where, okay, if this doesn't work, we're going to go to this. If this doesn't work, we're going to go to this. It's just kind of if the first read doesn't work, just kind of street balling and go to whatever whatever you can make happen. And, and that's not what we've seen lately. And that's this team had become, to me, especially during their struggles, uh, during, during their downturn, had really become very predictable and easy to guard. And I think that's why teams were having so much success stopping them offensively because if, you, if you're not making shots from the perimeter, um, Jaron wasn't the Jaron that he is now, so you're not having this guy that's going to finish in the paint. It's just easy to guard. Um, and, and when Ja was in there, they could just set on that and shut that down and pack the paint and force somebody to shoot from outside. And if you're not knocking down shots, I mean, it's going to be hard for you to score consistently. And that's what we saw, and I think they've evolved from that. And again, they, they played some bad teams. There, there's no question about that, man. They haven't really played any elite teams here lately, so it'll be interesting to see if that translates. But I love a lot of what I saw last night, and I know it was the Rockets, but I feel like some of those things will translate, not necessarily to the to a 25 threes and 151 points, but I, I think they'll translate to better basketball than we've seen from this team, especially like during their struggles. I, I think this is something that can work. Just keep with this same plan, man, and I think I think they'll have a lot of success. I don't expect to see this this year, but this is something that if Jaron adds the ability to pass the ball at a high level, there is no reason that he shouldn't be in the MVP conversation because if you – Compare him size-wise to a guy in the NBA, Giannis would be the guy, right? Giannis can handle the ball. He can get downhill. Jaron's game from the outside is already head and shoulders That's what I'm better yeah, than Giannis. He's already a better shooter than he is. Yeah. Way, way better shooter than Giannis already. Giannis's inside game heading into this year was miles better than Jaron. That gap has closed. The only big gap between Giannis and Jaron right now is Giannis's ability to find his teammates. If Jaron finds a way to unlock that, dude, it, it's going to be nuts. And maybe it's it's a little bit nuts already. The fact that when he gets the ball in the post and he's got a dude that's 6'8", 180 pounds on him, he's just out-muscling him. You know, Jabari, well, Jabari Smith is bigger than that. But he's, he's not a, a muscular guy. Jaron knew that he could bully him, and so he was doing that against the Rockets. Alperin Shingun is too slow. He's big enough that he can maybe handle him a little bit in the post, but he can't handle him on the perimeter. You're going to have mismatches like that. If you go through the West right now and you look at the standings on teams that they may play in the playoffs, there's matchup problems for every single one of them. Who does Denver have that's going to guard Jaron on a consistent basis? Nobody. They, they, they don't. Sacramento, 
Sabonis. Sabonis in, in the post. Can Sabonis keep up with him on the perimeter, though? Yeah, in the post, he, he, well, he, he can, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't that, think he can on the perimeter. Yeah, that, yeah. I just remember when Jaren shoots well, they kind of there's nothing they can do. Yeah. With that, but if Jaren's not having a great shooting night, then that does propose a little bit of an issue there. About the only team in the West, when I, I'm looking down at 1 through 12 right now, the only team in the West – I'm sorry, there's two teams in the West that have guys that I feel like could legitimately defend and maybe not completely shut him down, but could legitimately defend him. And that's Minnesota. I think Carl Anthony Towns could do a good job guarding him. He's strong enough to guard him in the post. And Towns is not slaw-footed. So I think that he can probably keep up with him on the perimeter. And Anthony Davis for the Lakers. But I'm not scared of either one of those teams whenever it comes down to match. Yeah, I was going to say Aiden. I thought Aiden. you were going to go Phoenix. I was going to say Aiden. Yeah, I thought you were going to go Aiden. Could probably nah, do it. dude. Aiden, Aiden's not guarding him on the perimeter, dude. I, I don't I believe mean, it for one second. Jaren has not had a good game against Aiden. Yeah, he has given a problem. But, yeah. but Jaron hasn't played Aiden when he is at the level that he's at right now. Like the times that when when you, you go back to the early matchup, the earlier in the season when they matched up with Phoenix, Jaron wasn't playing with the level of confidence that he's playing with right now. I, I'm fine. I would love to see that matchup in the playoffs. And, and it may, you know, come back to bite me because of my confidence in Jaron right now. But he's never been in this type of attack mode. We've never seen him play like this. But it's crazy to think about how his the narrative around Jared has changed. I mean, think about kind of the, the the talk that people are talking about him before this season. I mean, you looking at this All Star could be Defensive Player of the Year. We're talking about comparing him to Giannis now, and not saying that he's Giannis right now, but even to be able to to have that conversation that it not be crazy is insanity because people were talking about trying to get rid of Jaron at times. I mean, he sucks. He can't do this. He doesn't deserve this contract. And, and now we fast forward to, to what we're talking about at this moment. It's it's insane, man. Uh, I don't know if I'm in mid-season. Like, we're talking about a, a, a tale of two seasons, especially on the offensive end. Not on defense. He's been great defensively all year, but this this offensive change for somebody to do this in, in mid-season because early in the season, he wasn't doing this. I know he's coming back from the injury, but He's on a completely different level offensively than we've ever seen him at. I mean, it's insanity and it's scary hours for the league, man. If he continues on the, the trajectory that he's on right now, because as you said, man, they called him a unicorn coming in and they didn't call him that for no reason. When, when he's playing like this, he truly is. And there's really hardly any guys and anybody in the league that can deal with him with, with him playing at this level. Uh, and I mean, you think about having that and you having uh, on this team. I mean, that's, I mean, this team's going to be unstoppable. And I don't, I think he can be even better than what he is now. I don't think he's even finished product. David talked about his passing um, and playmaking ability. If he adds to that, I mean, he's going to be, like you said, the MVP top-level player in the league. I know we talk about how great Jai is and not taking anything away from him, but you could have two guys on this team that are capable of being in that MVP conversation, and that's something rare. Like, you don't see teams that have two guys that you could talk about it in that ilk. And this team could possibly have that. So I'm super excited about Jared, man. I I always knew he had this in him. I, I think he just had to, to build that confidence. I just don't think he had the confidence. He seems to now realize that he's the baddest left out there and they can't nobody stop him when he decides that he's going to go out there and, and cook and do his thing. And I think he's realized that. Again, man, I think that's scary hours for the league going forward, man. They, they don't want to see that. 
I'm just saying they they don't want to want to see him and Ja Cook in the way that they could really get going. Well, well, so I make two points on that. One, I believe we did see this from Jaron when he first came out of the injury. I really do. I mean, that was the that was a conversation was how aggressive Jaron uh, has been. Uh, twenty five point games, or 20, maybe it was more twenty point games and twenty five point games, but it was just a, a level that you started you started to see that. And I think as the season went on, it sort of went into a lull, as did the rest of the team. I think he had sort of a mid year kind of. Went back. He kind of regressed. He kind of reverted back to foul trouble and wasn't getting yeah. wasn't on the floor as much. Yeah, right. Yeah, he he regressed a little bit offensively, going back to more like the 15, 18 point games. That kind of thing. Jai got a little bit more ball dominant, and he got kind of pushed to the side eventually. Uh, but but this is something we saw early in the year. So I'll say, you know, really, I'd say this is this is an evolution of what we saw or a a building on what we saw in the beginning of the season, because I think he came out and surprised everybody, especially considering him coming off injury. Nobody knew what to expect. And so I do remember how big of a deal that was to see Jaron, you know, play so well, especially against like, like the Kings team. Uh, I know that was a big, those are some big games against the Kings and just how nobody was able to stop him. Um, And and the other thing I would mention is just to to piggyback off of what you were saying, David is I, I think, I agree with you. He's he's almost like a, a Giannis light. If you can get that passing ability down, it's going to be incredible. But I will say this in terms of the playoffs. Yes. If Jaron has this mindset, I do think that a lot of those players you named will have a trouble, have trouble stopping him. But the problem is, and that's how you can tell it's all in his head. He struggles against teams when he, when he realizes he can't uh, bully his way or just be the bigger guy. I, I think he doesn't know what to do yet. I think he's that's how he gets into foul trouble. That's how in all these national TV games, he's not performed as well. And that's why I say it depends on the matchup. If he hits an Aiden, I'm not sure he's ready to, ready to hit an Aiden because if he realizes when it's not a when it's not a miss a mismatch, he's just not as confident, not as bold, uh, a little bit more unsure of himself. And I think that might show up in the playoffs. Now, some of this experience may help him navigate some of those things technically. What he needs to learn how is to offset that with a little bit more, you know, technicality, right? Not just bully ball, but a little bit more finesse, a little bit more technique. He just got to figure that out. I'm not really worried about that if he matched up against Aiden. I think the Grizzlies will still be fine. But in terms of Jaren's performance, I'm not sure you would see the same guy against the Aiden, against the AD, um, even against a Sabonis. Well, I think the perimeter thing is real. It depends on if he's shooting well or not. Um, but I, I think those sort of matchups gets in his head, and that's why he struggled with those kind of national TV games for the most part. Well, one of them, that, one of them that I do think he's gotten past, and but I think he's gotten over the the Draymond Green mental block. I think he's blown through that one. I mean, because he's looked good against Draymond the last two times they played him. I don't think he, Draymond had something over in the Michigan State guys. I'm the the big brother or whatever. I think he kind of fed into that before, but he seems like he's kind of blown through that. And that that's one of the reasons why I, I really feel confident that if they match up with Golden State, I think this time I think they get him. Uh because I think Jaron was big in that and they just had some something middle against him and he just really struggled against the Warriors. I don't feel like that's gonna be the case anymore. Can I can I add, let me add one more point to that and then David I'll let you go because I know you haven't talked in a minute. But yeah, no, you're good. Uh, mm-hmm. so one thing I mentioned earlier I can't remember when it was, maybe mid-season or whatever. I don't, I don't remember. But I remember mentioning that it seems like 
Jaron needs to, one of the things Jaron needs to work on, maybe it's something I said that he needs to work on in the offseason, is learning how to avoid offensive fouls. And I think that's the biggest thing. Because that's how Draymond used to get him, is with Draymond knew how to draw offensive, how to get him in foul trouble, offensive fouls. When he went to the lane, Draymond knew how to, how to guard him in a way that would put him in his head, again, make him unsure of himself, which moves do I make? But Jaron has gotten really good. And I think that's the difference between earlier in the year, Jaron, and even this Jaron we're seeing now, is little maneuvers. He's just kind of learning ways to avoid offensive fouls in a way that I think gives him even more confidence to avoid. And that's probably contributes to a great deal of what you're saying, Isaac, in terms of being able to maneuver in just a slight way enough to avoid the offensive foul and him still being able to finish, I think goes a long way for him in those matches with Draymond. Yeah, I, he's definitely gained, I think body control is probably the yep. best term to, to use there. Yep. And, and I wonder what he would kind of contribute that to. You know, like there are NFL players that take ballet lessons and stuff for balance. And so, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm not implying that I think that Jaron took ballet lessons, but he, he's definitely found a way to get skinny around those guys rather than just like mow through them for sure. So, yeah, because I was going to say at the times in the past, yeah, man, he was just, especially early on, he would be out of control. He'd just go down there and try to force his way. And as, as you guys said, he's done a lot better with that uh, this year. Uh, as David said, getting skinny and kind of getting around the contact and still being able to finish. I mean, he's done a much better job of that. And I think that's a big evolution of his game uh, because, I mean, we've seen him be able to finish. It's just that finish without fouling. Um, that was a big issue for him. And it's not really an issue anymore. Um, I, I'm with Candace. I think matchup. Uh, Anthony Davis really gives them problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think DeAndre Aiden would still give him some problems, and Sabonis at the rim. I think would give most people problems. I don't think that's just a Jaron thing. So I don't want to pile yeah. on him for that. But I, I think that's the next step in his game. But his confidence is at a level now that I think he. I, I feel better about him against anybody than I would have prior. Uh, but again, man, those guys like Anthony Davis. Those are guys that really give him trouble when it's not a mismatch where he feels like, okay, I'm clearly the better guy here. That that's those are the matchups that he's really struggled. So we'll see going forward how how that plays out. But I mean, I just feel good about where he is and where he is mentally, uh, because I think a lot of it, the things that held Jerry back were just him. Uh, I think it was mental. Uh, the talent has always been there. I think he just had some mental blocks to get over, and I think he now he feels that way because when John was out. I think he really took control and felt like, okay, this is my team. I got to go out here and, and get buckets. And him having that confidence, and I'm like I said, I hopefully when Ja gets back in the starting lineup, that he doesn't take away from that. Uh, and, because we know how great Ja is, but we need to realize that that Jerry can can get it done too. We've been seeing seeing this game in and game out since he's been out. Man, continue to let Jerry cook in the paint. When you get downhill, you get get going in the in, in the um. And up tempo, that that's where Ja can take over. And then when you're in the half court, let Jared get the ball down to Jared in the post and cook. You got both of those dynamics, man. It's yeah, man. That's what you're gonna need in playoff basketball. You have to be able to win in all kind of ways, and to have those two guys doing what they can do and know the abilities that they have um, in, in those two different aspects. I think this team is really set up well. I just hope it continues. I just hope we don't see Taylor Jenkins kind of revert back to some old habits. And when 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 Ja gets in there and Jerry decides, okay, well, Jaws our guy, so I'm going to kind of defer to him. I don't want to see that at all. I, I want Jerry to feel the band of basketball like we've been seeing and feel like he's 1B on this team if, if you're looking at 1A, 1B. 
that that does, don't revert to back to I'm two three. Um, revert back to I mean, go back to continue doing the same thing you're doing now. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I don't want to see any reverting back to him standing in the corner because that this team is not at their best when that happens. So that's the point what I'm going to be watching going forward. Because again, when Ja comes back in the starting lineup, there's going to be a transition and adjustment for everybody. We talk about Tyus Jones. There's going to be adjustment for Jerry Jackson Jr. There's going to be adjustment for Desmond Bain. That makes he's such a high level player that there's going to be an adjustment. But I want to see these guys playing at the same level, even if their role is reduced slightly. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think that what you said about Jaron getting in his own way, I think that's true for the whole team. And that's why, you know, I know David's talked about before how, like, there's nobody in the West who he's, like, scared of. Or really, I think with, with anybody, it's just a matter of will this team hurt themselves? Like, yeah. From a coaching yeah. perspective. Yeah. Like, they they can beat anybody, including themselves, yeah. And that's what, you know, that, that's what's scary because Especially of their with. age, you know, like they, they've got, they have the talent, they have the pieces in place. You know, we're, we're talking about John, Jaron here. There's plenty of, uh, plenty of, of shots for both of those guys to get their attempts in. Then also the, the addition of Luke Kennard. And I know there's no doubt in my mind that we're going to see lineups as long as Adams gets healthy of Ja, Jaron, Adams, Kennard, and Bain. And th- that can be deadly. Like, can you imagine hey, – you know, I-, I tweeted out earlier that I was thinking about that on the way home, how much separation Stephen Adams' screens can, can be for these guys. We've seen it with Ja, we've seen it with Bain. Well, now you add that extra shooter. And, and also – like I, I want to give Brooks his flowers too, because if you look, um, you you look at this game Friday, Dylan Brooks, you know he eleven points. He only had seven shot attempts. It well, yeah, seems to me that he has kind of embraced the fact that he doesn't have to go out there and get buckets. I, I know that he's still like have to pull it up there there was a a few games ago before he got suspended he had like 14 or 15 shot attempts I'm not saying that it's completely fixed but when a guy recognizes his role that's what makes a difference from a good team to a championship team and you know I, I know that we don't really want to gas the Warriors up at all and definitely not the guy that I'm fixing to mention but Iguodala was a one in Philly and when they convinced him to embrace his role as you're no longer the primary guy, and he accepted that role of being a defender and being a, a third or fourth option, that's when that team started winning. And if Dylan Brooks is really embracing this with the rest of the stuff that this team has, I, it, to me it's just a matter of time. I know there's questions about – are they going to sign him in the offseason? To me, I don't think that there's a question at all. I, I, unless they are able to make a trade and go out and get somebody that would be a suitable replacement for him, I think Dylan Brooks is 100% a Grizzly movie. Yeah, I, 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 I was going to say, I, I, think, I think so too. If you had asked me earlier in the season, me and David talked about that. Uh, I think the night that you weren't on with us, we talked uh, about this a bit. 
I, I think so. Uh, or if you had asked me early in the season, I was saying no way that he's back. But uh, now I think you've seen how this kind of played out. Zaire Williams didn't take the kind of step that they wanted. I think they wanted to see him take a step, and I think that would have made them feel more comfortable kind of moving on from him. But I, I think what the way the team is constructed now, as David said, unless they're moving him in a deal where they re-sign him or something and move him in a, in a sign and trade or part of, part of a deal, move him for you getting somebody like a Mikael Bridges, so to speak, and putting him in a deal like that and you get bringing in a guy like that, maybe. But I think he wants to be here. I think the the, the franchise, the, the front office understands what he brings on the defensive end and how much of a loss that would be if they lost him. And, and if you don't have a replacement, he's going to be a big loss. I mean, especially on the defensive end, there's, I mean, who are you who are you going to replace them with? I mean, you got to have somebody to come in that can, can stop guys on the perimeter. And right now, I mean, he's that dude. If you take him out the team, we've seen the numbers how different they are with him on, without him on the floor. I just think they come to some kind of agreement because I don't think he wants to be anywhere else. And I think the franchise wants him here. Um, the guys love him in the locker room, and I, I just can't see him moving on. I think whatever it takes to to stay here, he will. He's going to do it. I don't think he's going to just chase the money. Uh, because I think he gen- genuinely loves being on this team and playing with these guys. So I think he's here uh, unless something materializes with a sign and trade or something like that that they can't pass up. I-, I would predict right now probably about 95% that he's a Grizzly next year. Maybe you're right. I I, I am not sold on if that's a good decision. And I'll say this because – this is part of the Dylan Brooks experience. We've seen progress from Dylan in the past that we thought he had accepted his role and moved on. And then there's always the moments that that creeps back up and that's problematic. And I'll say, I saw an, a fairly alarming quote um, a while, I think DeMichael Cole got this quote from Dylan Brooks about how he admired Kobe and all these other guys for, for being able to shoot and how he sees himself, basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, how he sees himself basically wanting to be that. That <laughs> that lets me know he, he is playing the role, right? He is playing the role. We have proof of that. But I'm not sure he wants, how much he wants to embrace the role. I think there's a distinct difference there. And I that's what concerns me. I'm not sure if paying him whatever it's going to take to pay him to resign is the best move for the team. But I understand the perspective of you don't have a valuable replacement. My hope would be that they would have gotten a valuable replacement. But, you know, things don't always go your way. I see how it makes sense and how it's likely he'll be back. I'm just personally not sold on the decision because I think Dylan's going to revert back to Dylan at some point. And um, this discussion will be revisited. Yeah, I saw that quote. He was talking about Kyrie Irving and the way that they Kobe and the way they shoot the basketball, and he he wants to shoot the basketball like that. I was like, all right, Dylan, calm down, man. All right, we know you playing well, shooting thirty thirty. I think he's shooting thirty seven percent from three this month. I think that's his second best month. I think he shot, I think thirty nine percent in January. January was his best shooting month. Uh, but he's shooting thirty seven percent this month. He's been much more efficient. But as Candace said, man, that can be dangerous because when he feels like he's playing well, that means shoot more and that's not not what you want man when he, he has to find that balance if you're making shots okay you can you can take some shots but when you're missing you have to realize this is not the night and you need to do something else and that's been his issue but this month he's been hitting shots so right now like you said he's he's good Dylan but there have been the, the, he will go back and forth there have been swings with him his entire career so we'll see I, I just think 
there's right now they don't have a replacement for him. And I just think he wants to be here. And I, I just think he's going to try whatever. I think they're going to come to some kind of agreement. I, I just have a hard time saying a divorce happened this summer, but I don't, I don't know what to say about this situation. It's, it's polarizing. There are times where I'll say 100% they should keep them. And there are other times where I feel like it, it, they, they should probably move on. So, I don't know, man. It's, it's a unique, man. Get yeah, it's a unique situation, man. You're just... here in neutral with me. <laughs> you're on the yeah, roller coaster, man. man. Get up here in neutral with me. I that's, that's exactly what it that is. That's the roller coaster for sure. At some point, and, and offset this a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, final score Wednesday's game one thirty to one twenty five. Grizzlies win. Final score Friday's game one fifty one to one fourteen. We kind of bounce back and forth a little bit. Candace, you've mentioned a couple times that there's some stuff that you want to discuss about Friday's game. Is there anything that we haven't discussed, any points that you wanted to make about Friday's game that you haven't brought up yet? Uh, well, a lot of it was the nuances that we saw. But one thing that I did want to know that we hadn't talked about yet is just in terms of transitioning over back to, to Ja and what that might look like. Um, I, I, I was, I'll say this. One thing that I think would be best, and I don't know if we'll see it because it's, Taylor Jenkins, so you never know how these rotations are going to go. In terms of the benefit we're seeing from John Morant coming off the bench, it's sort of this, this one-two punch with Jaron be, being a monster and then Ja being a monster. You know, I think there is a way to have Ja start and also have the one-two punch. And that involves completely revolving the rotations the way they are right now. Now, Jaron is always the first one out as it is. And so maybe it's John coming out and punch you first, and then you got Jaron more with the second unit. But I will say, I don't think you have to necessarily sacrifice the one-two punch you get with either one or the other playing against that bench unit, but it would just require Taylor Jenkins doing some nuances with those rotations. Now, he's been doing that lately. He admitted he, he talked about doing that with Luke Nart. Because he wasn't always the first guy off the bench, but now, now he is first guard for sure. But now he's the first guard off, off of the bench, and so maybe with him in his creative mode, maybe he'll rethink some of the uh, benefits we've seen from Ja coming off the bench without Ja coming off the bench. That'd be something I'd love to see, though. If, if Taylor Jenkins can find a way to keep that one-two punch with with Ja, and then Jaron kind of having their own moments to shine against different unit, units, but also being able to play together because that, that, that's that been a part of this experience too is job playing with Jaron. And as, as I've alluded to, ha- having that chemistry develop a, a little bit. Um, if we can see that happen, I think that goes a long way to not only the Grizzlies winning the West, but being competitive against whatever team it is in the East that comes out. So that's just one thing I wanted to point out that, that I think is possible. I don't think you have to choose. If you're Taylor Jenkins, you don't have to choose between losing completely what you get with this concept of Jack come off the bench. Um, yeah. Will they do it? Who knows? But <laughs> I see there being a little nuance. Yeah, because it, it, it look, it's looked really good. It, work, it works really well. I hate for them to, to kind of go away from that, uh, as Candace said, because you find something. If it ain't broke, man, if it, if it ain't, don't, don't fix it if it ain't broken. It definitely, what we're seeing right now ain't broke at all. This is probably the best basketball that they played all year, all around. Uh, and I want to touch on Luke Kennard. People coming in, you just like, oh, well, he's a guy that can come in and, and knock down some threes. But I, I think you're short selling Luke Kennard if you're just looking at him as a shooter. Uh, I mean, he's his off-the-ball movement is elite. I mean, he's constantly moving, coming off screens. I mean, he does a really good job of getting open. Uh, that, that That's one thing, uh, constant movement. He's also really smart, high IQ. He can, he can pass the basketball, and 
his defense is not as bad as advertised. He's like I said, he has some some physical shortcomings that he's never going to be a fantastic defender, but he gives you everything that he can on that end. It's not for, for lack of effort uh, because there are times where he takes charges. He's in the right spot. Like I said, his IQ, he he gets the most out of his abilities. And, and what I love about him, again, is the constant movement that he finds a way to get open. So you give him the basketball, and when he's wide open and he gets his feet set, it's pretty much cash money. And now you got two guys that can do that, and that just – unlocks a different dimension for this team. And David mentioned it earlier, talking about Steven Adams. You you see the shots they're getting now, thinking about the shots that they'll possibly get when you have Steven Adams out there. So I, I love the addition of Luke Kennard, man. Just fantastic addition by Zach Lyman. I mean, people didn't think that it was going to be this huge move. I mean, it was a plus because this team needed shooting, and he's a guy that can shoot the basketball. But I think it's even going to have a bigger impact than people, people even imagine. Um, because I, I think that and, and what we see from Jaron, both of those two things completely raises the ceiling, ceiling for this team. And I, I just feel really, really good about where they're at. All the, the vibes seem great. Uh, I mean, just it seems like everything aligned is aligning for the team. As far as standing wise, I think everything feels good uh, about a potential path. I, I just think they're in a really good spot. You have a rested jaw. Uh, you, you, I mean, it's just a lot of positives about this team right now. The only negative right now is you. Need to get Steven Adams back, and, and what is his status going to be? But outside of that, man, everything is pretty much coming up aces. I think this team is yelling at the right time. And, and again, man, Tyler Jenkins uh, seems to be coming into his own at the right time as well. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited, man. Uh, with nine games left for the playoffs, you hold on to this two seed, man. I think they're they're in a really good spot, man. I, I love where we're at. Yeah, just to add on what you said, I I, I think we, we talked about Luke Kennard and how great a performance we had, but I don't think we mentioned that a, a, it, it was a historic performance that Luke Kennard, yeah. Kennard had. Like, no, one has had no one has had 10, 10 threes made. He was 10 for 11 from, from three, man. It's incredible. And nobody's had 90-plus percent shooting from the field and also got 30 points. That was the first time in NBA history. So such a huge deal um, for him and for his confidence. And, you know, he talked a little bit about – this team, no one really pushing him the way that this team has. People have pushed him, encouraged him, but this team has really been on him about shooting more threes, and I think he was able to see the dividends of that. Yes, it was the Houston Rockets, but I think the what matters is he saw that it worked, and I think that's going to matter a lot more. Yeah. yeah. There's been plenty of times we've seen Luke pass up shots, and I think you're going to see less and less of that after this game moving forward, and that's what's going to matter in these playoffs. Luke, because if there's somebody I want taking a shot, it's that guy and it's Desmond Bain. That's the end of the day. Like it doesn't really matter to me, contested or not. Those guys have the capability of shooting contested shots. That you don't want them shooting that to be the bulk of their 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 shots, their shot selection. But those guys are just that good. Um, just that just just snipers, absolutely snipers. And to to your point about his ability to move and get himself open, I think that's been a huge key in unlocking this offense. And we give Taylor Jenkins a lot of credit in terms of having more movement. And, and it is, we should, we see some screens set to help get that, you know, help run that for Lucanard, especially in that Houston Rockets game. We saw a lot more of that, but part of it is if Luke moves, everybody else has to move. So we've yeah. seen times of stagnant offense where, like we said, Jaron's in the corner and Dez is in the corner and Conchar is in the corner. Everybody's just in a corner and it's just job going. Watch job. Right. Watch job. <laughs> But because Luke Kennard is such an active guy looking to get open, looking to make cuts. And Desmond had, really, generally is that as well. Sometimes he can fall into the trap 
of doing what everybody else is doing. I think sometimes, for the most part, Desmond by nature is a guy who's going to make cuts, who's going to move, relocate, try to get open, that kind of thing. So between those two guys moving around on the court, another point to, to you, Isaac, in terms of having both of those guys on the court at the same time, it forces movement, it forces action in a way that makes everything else easier for everybody on the court, and that's money in the playoffs. Yeah, having both of those guys, having both of those guys on the on on the floor at the same time, is, it it puts a lot of pressure on the defense. I mean, because that's you're you're worried about that, man. You having those two guys out like that and out there on the floor like that, that can shoot. You have to you have to account for those guys. And to talk about Luke Boom, I mean, there are times where he's open two or three different times and two or three different spots on different sides of the floor in the same possession. That's how much. He moves around. You'll see him open in the left corner. Next thing you know, he's open in the right corner. He's constantly, <laughs> constantly moving, man. So I love to see that, man. And had the slider on 99 out there uh, last <laughs> night, man. Luke, Luke with the dot, man. That's all I got to say. Sorry, David. Go ahead. No, no, you're you're good, man. I, <laughs> I was just going to touch on his playmaking ability. When he was, you know, he got hot there in the third. Near the end of the third, they got him the ball out around the perimeter. And I don't remember who he found, but he he ends up he's dribbling. He Tyus. finds a cutter. Tyus, Tyus. yeah, okay. Tyus. yeah, yeah. Tyus. You know, and that is just that's part of his game. You know, he, he's known as a shooter, but th- there there's so much more to it. And and he doesn't he doesn't have the playmaking abilities of a Desmond Bain. And so you know, there's still a definite separation there. But to have a guy that can handle the ball shoot the ball, and he's a threat. So the defenses are going to collapse on him. If they, you know, if he's hot like that and you got two people collapsing on him, he's going to be able to find his teammates because he has ability to to, to be a playmaker. So it's a it's a great find. All right, you know, I'm not a uh, Clemens batting a 1,000, but, uh, you know, he's batting about 975. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that, that's not that's not one that you on the surface when they first made that move. That's not one that you look at and say, okay, this is going to have a major impact on this team. That's not how people were thinking about that move when they made it. I mean, it's this team was bored of shooting, so they needed somebody that could shoot. So you were happy, okay, this is a good deal. You're adding a shooter, but but like we said, he brings more to the table than that. And to talk about his confidence early on in in his tenure, his short tenure here, he would pass up shots, but. You saw in that game against Houston, he was hunting shots. There were times where guys were on him. He was pump faking and trying to get open, flying, shooting shots off the flyby like Desmond Bain. That's something that you wouldn't have saw three weeks ago when, when they first got him. I mean, he his confidence level has changed, and I think a lot of that has to do with, as Candace said, he talked about guys on his team encouraging him to shoot. Taylor Jenkins said it in, in a recent press conference that he's telling him, man, go out there and shoot. We need you to shoot more. And I think having a game like that, I think it's going to do wonders for his confidence. I also think it's going to do wonders for the rest of the team's confidence in him. I think they're going to get to look to get him the ball more after having a game like that. So it, it, it's a, it's a, another man just really, really smart move. It, on, on the surface, it doesn't look like it's some big move. But like you said, man, climbing batting about 90%. Um, I mean, there are some things that I've criticized him for, but he's done a lot more good than bad. There's no doubt about that. And I think this is a – uh, another big home run for him uh, to go out yeah. and get a guy at the deadline, especially if you really got him for nothing. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got to get got him for a guy in Danny Green that wasn't, wasn't going to play it for you. Picks, it's a podcast. It's a podcast, yeah. Podcasts. Who's that? Great company man is that there? Who's that? That's that. Yeah, great company man said that. Got him for a podcast. Bring the podcast for. Yeah, <laughs> but, but 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 to your point, this is my last point on Luke Kennard. I did want to kind of piggyback off what you were saying, David, in terms of the playmaking. You know, I actually believe, I just want to put it out there. I believe that next season we're going to see more like a Bane type of playmaking role from Luke Kennard. They've talked about that to the level with which they used to talk about that with Bane, but it took an off season for us to really see that come into fruition. And of course they can't do the whole summer league thing <laughs> with Luke Kennard, probably like they did with Bane. But in terms of how they push that for him, I th- I maybe not to the same level of Bane, but I expect to see a lot more playmaking out of Luke Kennard, more like what we see with Bane, um, you know, next year. I think that'll be big, especially depending on what they choose to do with tires or not next year. Um, so so that'd be huge. Um, and I also just want to point out that I've noticed an ability for Luke Kennard to make key rebounds. So he's not a, a rebounding monster like make maybe a, a contract. He's not a guy who gives you 17 rebounds like maybe contract can. I'll give him credit in that regard. But he's a guy when he makes those plays, they seem to be key. Like he's just got instinctual yeah, ability for winning plays. He's just a winning guy. And, and that's better than just a guy who can shoot threes. It's the ability to get key rebounds. It's the ability to make the right pass at the right time. He just seems to be able to, where he differs from Conchar, is the ability to be able to make the momentum play. Where sometimes Conchar, when, when, the, when the spotlight's high, sometimes he seems to falter in that regard. So that's been really cool to see um, him be able to step up to those moments. And when you need to rebound, he's the guy to get it. Like, yeah. Was it four? Am I reading that right? Rebounds? Four? No, on Friday night. He just had two. He just had two. Um, no, wait. Do you have any? Nope. Just kidding. All right. But uh, I think the previous game. He had, he had four on Wednesday four. night. Yeah, yeah. Four Wednesday. Four. That's what it was. For four Wednesday night that he had. And it's just, it's, it's, not, a t- it's not a number that's going to wow you, right? But it's a number when, when he did it it made a big difference for the ability and the momentum of the Grizzlies. So this is my last point on Luke and just how valuable of an asset that he is and how I see him as more than just that shooter. But I think we'll see him evolve as a Grizzlies player. And that's what makes it cool. And another uh, notch for, for Kleiman is he got a guy that he can have for more than just a one year. He's not a rental. Yeah. Basically. Got him locked that's up. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was just about to say that. Got him locked up for two more years if they want him. Uh, at yep. 14 million next year and got a team option. The, that following year, so he if they want him here, he's here for two more years. So man, just a really good pickup by Zach Kleiman. I think under radar pickup, and probably if you look around the league, you saw some teams make on paper what we, what could be considered bigger moves. I think this is probably one of the best moves of the trade deadline, and I don't think anybody would have thought that on that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Candace, I'm gonna need you to uh, kind of repeat what you just said because you lost me after you called Conchar a monster. Well, so, rebounding, uh, rebounding, rebounding. So Candace is on record. No, 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 no. That is, that's uh, that's what we're going to play back Appreciate the tape. You. Play Thanks. back the Have tape. Good night. <laughs> rebounding, rebounding. Yeah, seventeen rebounds against the Wolves. Take it back. <laughs> he had a monster uh, rebound. <laughs> No, man, did he did he find all these eleven man? I'm good. Man. He's fine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Do you got anything else you want to go over before we get out of here? I think that's it for me. No, nah, man, I think we think we pretty much covered it. Yeah, I can keep talking there. There was so much from man at Friday's game. The 
the amount of fun that they had out there in, in Friday's game. And obviously, like, when, when you're beating a team, like, when you're up like that, the confidence is going to be high. But it was just – Friday's game was probably the most energy that I've seen in the FedEx Forum. It, it probably outperforms – I know for sure it outperformed some of the playoff games that I went to last year. Like the crowd was really, really into it. And and you could see the players kind of feeding off of it, man, because the, it, it was it was just different in there that night for sure. Yep. Most definitely. So, all right. I'd say, I'd say it's equivalent to that uh but the 73. I wasn't in the form for that night, but the 73 point win against OKC, it kind of felt like that a little bit. Um, but it, of course it wasn't that big of a gap, but yeah, I agree with you, man. Yeah, yeah it was good stuff for sure. So yeah. We appreciate you guys tuning in. You can get the show on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. I'm at NBA Dwill21. You can find me on Twitter at CandaceH901. As it take us home. Yeah, man, the Grizzlies will be uh, in hot Atlanta tomorrow night taking on the Atlanta Hawks. Early tip off, 5 p.m., so it's not, not a late game. Not, not have to stay up late for that one. So well, we will be looking to do a post game uh, sometime after that, so be on the lookout. Uh, give us go up to head eat those gritties give a like and a follow we definitely appreciate that you can find me on twitter at isaac double underscore nba double underscore nba this has been the ethos gritties podcast and until next time we go and that will conclude our sports ethos presentation for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.